All right. So we're going to be continuing on in the sermon series of 2 Corinthians, just picking up right where Pastor Tom left off. I got to go back a little bit. We're going to recap some of the things that he talked about last Sunday because that is the exact springboard into where we're going today. But let's just talk a little bit about where we've been. So 2 Corinthians, second letter that Paul has been writing to the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church. And his first letter was very, very, very direct. They had a lot of these struggles. They had a lot of sin issues. And Paul is writing to them and correcting them. And he even says in, um, in this second letter that he says, listen, I, wanna, I have a desire. This is right at the beginning. I have a desire to come visit you, but I don't want to cause you any pain. He's realizing that they might be still a little tender from his previous letter, from his previous visit with them. So he's saying, you know what, I'm going to write you this letter. I'm going to try to explain some things further in you, to teach you some things, but I don't think it's quite the right timing for me to show up yet. Right after that, in chapter 2, he moves on to this idea of forgiveness. He says, hey, if anyone has caused you pain, if anyone has sinned in your church, caused them any kind of division, he's like, listen, I want you to forgive them. We need to focus on forgiveness. And then last week, at the end of chapter 2 and then the beginning of chapter 3, Paul gets really vulnerable. And he acknowledges that, hey, you know, God opened this door for me to go speak in this town of Troas, but I wasn't at rest. My, my soul was not at rest. And he says that I didn't go there. I didn't preach. That's what we learned about last week. And I don't necessarily think that this was a, a sin issue, but potentially he, he dropped the ball maybe a little bit because he had an opportunity to go preach the gospel, which is what he was there to do. And he said, you know, I just, I just wasn't there in my heart. So no one's saying that he necessarily was sinful or wrong, but he potentially blew an opportunity. But the point of him saying that is that that's not the point. The point is for him to say, listen, we have no sufficiency within ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are not sufficient. It all comes from Christ. We don't have to have everything figured out. We can be humble. We can be vulnerable to one another. And I, I love that about this church. I feel like so many people here are real. We're not trying to put on our Sunday morning face and show up like everything's perfect. No, people here are real, and I love that about you guys. And I just want to encourage you to continue in that. And that's exactly what Paul was saying, as we learned last week. Listen, we don't have to have everything figured out. We're real people. Let's encourage one another, and let's be real. And then he ends, or Pastor Tom ended last week in verse 6, saying that we are sufficient to be ministers of this new covenant. That's what we're going to be talking about today. A new covenant by the Spirit. And that's what our whole focus on today. We're going to be digging into what, what's a covenant, what's this old covenant, what's this new covenant. We're going to be going back and forth. And this is huge. Our response to God's promise is accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn about that today. So I'm going to go ahead and first, before we get into the scripture, I want to define this idea of covenant to you. Because that's not a word that I use very often when I'm going around talking to people, talking about covenants. Uh, maybe it is with you, but I got a feeling it's just not a real common term. Now, we all have probably heard it before. We know like bits and pieces of it. But I know that I, I personally, I, I didn't really have a good grasp on it until I did some research. I was reading some of, the, some of the work of John Piper, and I felt like he just had a really stellar definition. I was looking for something simple, something that was to the point, that clearly defined it, but yet made it very, very understandable. So 
The best definition I found for covenant is this. A covenant is a relationship in which God makes promises towards man and requires responses from man. And we're going to be able to see what that means in terms of the old covenant and in terms of the new covenant. It's a relationship in which God makes promises towards man. So God up in heaven makes a promise towards his people, requiring, though, a response from his people. All right, so let's go ahead. I am going to read verse 4 through 6 just to kind of recap, to set that foundation. And then we're going to continue in verses 7 through 11. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, 7 through 11, you're going to see this back and forth. He's going to be comparing Old Covenant, New Covenant. Old Covenant, New Covenant. So please join me in reading 7 through 11. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, this is the case. For what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Do you see that back and forth? It was, it is, this is that, this is now. So I think though before we go into talking about like directly what this means for us within the new covenant, we got to have an understanding of what is the old covenant. He kind of talks about it here. He's talking about Moses. He's talking about carved on letters of stone. That's talking about the Ten Commandments. But I actually want to take you back to Moses in Exodus 34. And I want to go back there and actually want to read through that and actually get a really good idea of what this old covenant was. Because I think Once we can understand that, it's going to really help us embrace this new covenant and see just how much more glorious. Because that's what I was reading about, talking about the glory of the old compared to the glory of the new. I think once we understand the old, understand the new, it's going to be able to really help us understand that far surpassing glory of the new covenant. So if you could turn with me to Exodus 34. As you're turning there, I'm going to just give you a little bit of a background of what's going on here. So this was round two of Moses getting the Ten Commandments. So the first time he was up there with God, the people got kind of sick of waiting for Moses. And so they decided that they're going to create a golden calf and worship it as their God. So um, Aaron was the leader at that point. And so They gather all of the the gold jewelry, they melt it down, they make this golden calf, and they're having the celebration, and they're worshiping this golden calf. 
Moses comes down from the mountain after being with God, after getting these Ten Commandments, the, the first set of Ten Commandments, carved on stone. It says, it makes it a point twice I read that it says that these were written by the hand of God. I can just picture like these are those beautiful tablets. Moses comes down off the mountain, sees these people worshiping a golden calf. I mean, if you can imagine, he'd just been in the presence of God. He's like completely on fire for God, just totally jazzed. And he comes back and here's his people, the people he loves, worshiping a piece of gold. He was very upset, so what does he do? He throws the tablets down and they break. Now, I'm not saying that was the right thing to do. I can understand, we, I think a lot of us would be in that position. We'd be really frustrated. So, story moves on. It's round two now. Moses, God calls up Moses, says, all right, we're going we're to do this again. Uh, this time we learn that um, Moses had to do some of the writing himself this time. Um, but we know that this is round two now of the Ten Commandments. So I'm just going to kind of read bits and pieces of this because we don't have time to read this whole chapter. But um, let's just look right away. And uh, the first verse of chapter 34, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. I like that. God's like, yeah, you're gonna, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this, by the way, this is because you broke it. And then he goes on. And so let's go ahead and look now at what God says regarding this covenant. Remember, that's the whole point of this. The point of this isn't really the stones or the tablets and the words. The idea here is this covenant. So this is the first time here that we're going to see God actually mentioning this idea of a covenant. So in verse 10, same chapter, 34, verse 10, and he said, this is God talking, talking to Moses, Behold, I am making a covenant before all of your people. I will do marvels such have not been created in all the earth or in any nation and all the people among you whom you shall, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And then verse 11, we're going to read just a part of it. It says, observe what I command you this day. So remember, back to the definition of a covenant, God has a promise requiring responses. God is saying, hey, I'm going to make this promise with you. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to do these incredible marvels, these awesome things for you, for your people. And then he says in verse 11, observe what I command you this day. These next section of verses, 11 through 26, are describing the conditions or the responses from man that God is requesting or requiring, I should say, of the people. So in verse 17, you shall not make for yourself any God's cast of metal. That fit the situation well. Verse 18, you shall keep the feast of the eleventh bread. 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. You get the point. He's going through now and he's saying, okay, these are these conditions of this covenant. And then verse 27 through 28, God gives this amazing conclusion. So verse 27, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So it's really clear. I love how direct this is. It's clearly showing us that this old covenant Remember back in 2 Corinthians when we started, 
it was talking, talking about Moses, talking about the tablets. We know that what the old covenant is that Paul is talking about is this right here. He's talking about these 10 commandments. But before we go on back to 2 Corinthians and dig into a little bit deeper, I do want to read this next section. Because when it's talking about the covenant, when Paul's talking about this, he's talking about the glory of this covenant. And before we can learn about that, I think we really need to dig in to see what the glory was. Because immediately after this, after it says, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, immediately it goes in now to talk about the glory of God. And if you look at the, maybe some of your Bibles have it like the little heading kind of description of what this next section, it's called the shining face of Moses. So let's go ahead and read 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with them in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So Moses, did you guys get why Moses' face was glowing while it was shining? It was because he had been in the presence of God. He had been in the glory of God. That is incredible. And that's exactly what our text is talking about here in 2 Corinthians. So let's go back there now. We now have the old covenant defined. We, we get that. We know what it is now. We kind of understand how that all went down. We understand this idea of the glory that's being talked about, the glory about Moses' face. So now with that in mind, let's look again at verse 7 through 11. We're kind of going to break this apart a little bit. And we're going to see if it makes a little bit more sense now. So it says in verse 7, Now if the ministry of death, this is talking about the old covenant. Moses' face was shining. That sounds, to me, that sounds kind of glorious. I mean, to be in the presence of God, your face is shining. That sounds like it's got some glory to it. But no, Paul's calling it the ministry of death. Carved on stones, it came with such a glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? This is talking about the new covenant, the ministry of the Spirit. It's talking about our covenant. It says, will it not have even more glory? That's phenomenal news for us. That is saying, you know, we might be wowed by that idea of, oh, wow, his face was shining. That, that's cool. It's saying that's got nothing on what we've got, the glory that we have with this new covenant. It's talking about our ministry. It's glorious. It's surpassing all prior glory. And it's permanent. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever covenant of life. So I was reading through one of the commentaries that Pastor Tom gave me. 
And the, I can't take any credit for this. The, the author had this phenomenal analogy, and I want to share that with you guys, comparing the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the new covenant. And what he says is, you know, picture yourself at night, pitch black, completely dark, and, and you're, you're wandering around, you're searching. It, that's, that might be scary for some of us. And he, someone comes along then with a little lamp. It's got a light bulb. And you turn on that lamp, the light bulb comes on, and oh, you can see. That'd be pretty glorious. That, that's that's kind of like what we're talking about Old Covenant here. But New Covenant, now picture yourself. Same situation in terms of the darkness. It's pitch black, but you're standing in the middle of a stadium, standing on the 50-yard line of a football field, and all of a sudden someone goes and cranks that big breaker up and the stadium lights blast you in your face to the point where you're almost blinded and everything is lit up completely where it's like daylight. That is the glory of the new covenant compared to the glory of the old covenant. We're talking a light bulb compared to stadium lights. There's a huge difference there. That is the glory of the new covenant. Last week, Pastor Tom made a really funny comment. At least I thought it was. He says, you know, we're, we're, he called 2020 the dumpster fire year of 2020. So I'm going to take that, though, and I'm going to put a little twist on it because based upon what we're seeing in our scripture, I'm going to say this. We may be in the dumpster fire year of 2020, but we are part of God's ministry of righteousness, the new covenant led by the Spirit with unsurpassing glory that leads to life and hope. Now I want to encourage you with that today because I feel like a lot of us, that's how we feel. We're, we're trying to feel like we're like stuck with that dumpster fire year. And yes, it has kind of been a crummy year in many aspects, but hey, we've got the glory of the new covenant. That is great news. So then now you're saying, well, hey, Ray, that's wonderful, but what in the world is the new covenant? You've talked about the old covenant, It's the the, the light bulb glory. But what about the stadium-like glory of this new covenant? What is it? The new covenant? It is the gospel. The gospel of life. The old covenant was death because everyone under it knew they couldn't measure up. They couldn't keep the, the law, the Ten Commandments. Guess what? We can't either. So Jesus stepped in with this new covenant and did it for us. The cross of Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus living a perfect, sinless life on earth. God sent him as a man to live, lived a a rough life, but he did not sin. And he did all these works and these miracles. This is all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you get a chance to read that, that's what you can learn about these amazing things that Jesus did. Perfect life. And then he was crucified. He was nailed to the cross. He was murdered. And he took the place of us. That's the gospel. We can't measure up. Jesus recognized that. So he took our place. He stepped in front. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. So that is the new covenant. So you might say, I get that, but how does that, def- how does that line up with that definition that we gave? Remember, a covenant is a relationship in which God makes a promise towards man. Well, what's that promise? God's promise is through my son Jesus, through his perfect life, his death, burial, and resurrection, I will forgive your sins and I will give you access to me. 
So then what's that response? Remember, it's a promise of God with the required response from man. I'm sure many of you know John 3.16. It's one of the most famous quoted verses of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what is the required response from us? It is belief. It is putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's the new covenant. That is great news for us. That is super exciting. All right, well, it doesn't end there though. And I like that it doesn't end there. We still have, I don't know, let's say eight-ish verses left of this chapter to talk about. Because I think it's great to be able to compare the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We can get that idea of just how glorious this New Covenant is. But we don't want to just sit down then and soak that in for too long. I think it's great to soak it in and just bask in the glory of God. But there's action steps that we want to do as a result of this. And that's what it starts in verse 12. Okay, as a result of us having this being part of this new covenant with all this immense stadium-like glory, what do we do now? It has to do with our call as a Christian. So let's go ahead and let's look at verses 13 through 16. Excuse me, verse 12 through 16. It starts with saying, Since we have such a hope. Yes, that new covenant gives us a huge, immense hope. So what does it say as a result of that hope? Since we have that hope, it says we are very bold. We are very bold. So what does that mean, to be very bold? I think that's another word that sometimes might even have some negative views towards it because sometimes if we're thinking of someone being bold, we might think of someone even being on the edge of being arrogant. And that's not what Paul's talking. He's not saying be arrogant, be a jerk about this. He's saying be bold. So I I was like, all right, I got to get a good definition here. So I, I went back to the Greek and I can't pronounce that word in Greek, but I looked to see like what the original context in the Greek when this was originally written What was that definition? And I love it. The definition back when this was written in Greek meant, when it says bold, it meant to speak everything, to speak freely and to speak boldly. So that's what we're talking about. So what does that mean to me? That means when it comes to the new covenant, when it comes to talking about the glory of God, we're not holding anything back. We're speaking everything. We're speaking freely. We are speaking the good news of Jesus to the people around us. So it says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We have this hope of the new covenant. We are now speaking it freely. We are telling people about Jesus. So let's continue in verse 13. Remember, he's saying we are very bold, not like Moses. So he's saying, you're not like Moses now. It says, Moses put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But... When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That's beautiful. 
That's the new covenant. When one turns to the Lord, our response that we talked about, when one puts our faith in Jesus, his finished work on the cross, and we believe that veil is removed and we have open access to the glory of God. That's incredible. That is the best news that you will ever hear. That's the gospel. We have two verses left to talk about, and these are really exciting verses. Because right now, sometimes we feel, you know, like this is great, this is encouraging, I'm getting, I understand, you know, God is glorious, stadium light, light bulb. That might all be clicking, but sometimes we feel inferior. Remember how we started this message back in verse 4 through 6? We learned that we are not sufficient in ourselves. But Christ is the one who is sufficient for us. So as we read this last couple of verses, I want you to keep that in mind, that remember, I may have said this, this idea of this veil being removed, but remember, this isn't on us. This is the work of God in our lives. So let's read 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That is great, great news. So it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom of what? That's saying part of this new covenant, when we are saved from our sins, we are free from condemnation. We are free from guilt, free from sin, free from death, free from this old covenant, and free from the blindness of the gospel. We're no longer blind to the gospel. There is freedom in this new covenant. Free open access to the loving presence of God and freedom to have our hearts being changed. Did you catch what it said here? In 18, it said, being transformed into the same image of God. That's something to wrap our heads around. It says we are free to have our hearts changed and to be made into the likeness of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're becoming gods. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying as we grow in our faith, as the Spirit is working in our lives, we are being transformed into his image. We are taking on some of his characteristics. We're taking on his character. We are becoming more like him in who he is. Remember in the Bible, way back in Genesis, it says that we are created in the image of God. That's great news. That is great news. The technical theological term for that, if you've heard maybe some people talking about it, it's called sanctification. It's this idea that as we grow in our faith, we are becoming more like God in his character. That's, that's our desire. So the question is how? We have to look at this now. You might say, okay, that's great, Ray. I appreciate that, but how does that work? Do I need to just muster up more strength? Do I need to check off these boxes? What do I need to do to be transformed to the image of God? And no, to all of the above. We're not checking boxes. That's not the point at all. Did you see how it ended? It says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This isn't something that we do on our own. This is something that is coming from the Lord who is 
the Spirit. So that raises another question. Well, 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 how? How does this happen? I don't understand this. This might not make sense. Well, guess what? We're not the only ones who didn't understand this idea of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take you to one more passage back in John. And Jesus gives us an amazing, clear definition of the Holy Spirit. And I think that with that definition, we can then plug that into our passage here in 2 Corinthians. And I think it's going to hopefully just make this all come together and make sense and give us some strategies and give us some ideas in our heart of how we can work on this idea of being transformed into the image of God. So John 14, you can turn there if you like, that's up to you. And while, you're, while we're getting there, I just want to give you a little bit of background. We're not going to read this whole passage because it's long, kind of like Exodus, it takes too much time. But I'm going to read some bits and pieces and try to give you the context of what's going on here. So, so this is Jesus. He's talking, and he's talking to his disciples. And he starts in verse 1 of chapter 14, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Like, don't be worried. Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. This leads us to one of the most famous passages in Scripture. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to go, I'm preparing a place for you, it's going to be glorious, it's going to be great, and you know the way. Many of us know this next part where Thomas, one of the disciples, starts kind of panicking, starts freaking out and saying, no, 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 Lord, we, we don't know the way. We don't know the way. In one of the most famous passages, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I get it. I understand. You're confused, but guess what? I am the way. I am the way to this place that I'm telling you about. So after that is established, Jesus goes on to teach him some more. And then verse 18, I love this. Jesus says, listen, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's saying, I'm leaving. I'm preparing a place for you. You know the way. It is through me, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone here. There is hope for you. He realizes their fear. He realizes their uncertainty. So then, what is the answer? He's not leaving them as orphans. What is he doing? This is the key. Verse 25, 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus says, Listen, I'm preparing a place for you. You know the way. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending you help. He defines the Holy Spirit here as the helper. That is Jesus' definition in this context, in this text of the Holy Spirit. I am sending you the helper. 
The Father will send him in my name and he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I have said to you. That is excellent news. So the question is, can we apply that? Does that, is that what we're talking about here in 2 Corinthians? It is. It's exactly what we're talking about. Remember, he says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Your sanctification, my sanctification, our character becoming more like the character of God, that is coming from the Holy Spirit. And what is the definition of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us in that text? He is our helper. So that means we have help. We don't have to muster up the strength and check the boxes and try to do this ourselves. This is all part of the gospel. It's not about that. It's about our faith and it's about accepting the help of the Holy Spirit. All right, so wrapping things up here. I have some questions I want to ask you. Ask myself as well. This isn't like I have all the answers or I got everything figured out. I have nothing figured out, let me tell you. But I want to ask us all these questions. First of all, have you, have I, have we embraced the glory of this new covenant? The baseline here is have you put your faith in Christ? Have you believed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross? That Remember that covenant? I will pay for your sins through my son Jesus. You will believe. Are you there? That's the baseline for everything said today. Maybe you're there, maybe you're not. Please, if you're not, talk to someone. The person who maybe you came with today, whoever it may be, talk to someone who you know is, has a heart for Christ and, and ask those questions. Next question. Is Jesus the most glorious thing in your life? Is Jesus the stadium lights blinding you in the face because his glory is so intense. Are we viewing Jesus that way? Is he the most glorious thing in your life? Next question for all of us. Do you have hope? Can we look outside of our current dumpster fire 2020 situation and embrace Jesus? Do you have hope? Next question. Is that hope leading us to boldness? Can you be bold? Can we speak freely of the gospel? Can we hold nothing back? Teaching, talking about the work of Jesus. And finally, are we becoming more like Christ? Are we being transformed into the image of God? Those are all good questions. But remember, the point isn't to check those off. Because I got a feeling every single one of us, I know I, know I can't measure up to that. I got a feeling we're all there. But guess what? If you answered no, like I did to some of those questions, that's okay. Because if we're honest, none of us can. We need help. But who was responsible that we learned about for this transformation? The Holy Spirit. And what is the definition of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us? He is the helper. It said, Jesus said, he's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of the things that you were taught. So I want to ask you, if you're, if you're, if you're saying, no, I'm, I'm not there like me, if you're in the same position as I am, I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit for help. That's what I know I need to do. Say, Jesus, pray to Jesus and Holy Spirit, will you please 
help me. I want to be transformed into the image of God. I want to take on his character. I want to have that process of sanctification occurring in my heart, but I need help. I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit for that help. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have not left us. You didn't leave your disciples as orphans. You didn't leave, you're not leaving us as orphans. God, thank you for preparing a place for us and showing us the way through you. Thank you for the gospel. God, just thank you so much that we have access to the helper. And I pray that you will help all of us. Holy Spirit, will you please come and work in all of our hearts to help us to become transformed into the image of Christ. May that be our prayer today. May we bask in stadium-like light glory of this new covenant, recognizing who you are, Jesus, and what you have done for us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.